The coronavirus pandemic has been thoroughly analyzed by the medical, government, economic, and scientific experts. But what does the body of Messiah, the church, have to say on the subject? The coronavirus prophecy is our topic today. Author and pastor David Wilkerson gave a prophetic word in 1986. He saw a plague coming that would close bars, restaurants, and churches would be shuttered. Even governments would be shut down. He said a plague would shake New York City. Wilkerson founded Teen Challenge to aid drug addicts, and he also founded the Times Square Church in New York. He prophesied that a plague would be used by God to force believers back to our Bibles. He prophesied that the plague would force prayerless believers into radical prayer. Indeed, portions of America are praying, and so many have not been praying like this in a long time. Wilkerson said that repentance will be the message of the hour. Well, I hope that part of this prophecy comes to pass. We've seen New York City become the epicenter of the coronavirus in the United States. But will Wilkerson's other word come to pass? That out of the pestilence will emerge a third great awakening that will sweep America and the world. The Jerusalem Channel is made possible by viewer support. Thanks for watching. Shalom, I'm Christine Dark. I began the program today with a prophetic word that was given in 1986 by Times Square Church pastor, the late David Wilkerson. And there have been many other hopeful prophecies of a worldwide revival. In this program, I want to document some words that have been given by other men of God concerning the end times. And we'll see what the word of God ultimately says. And in doing so, I hope to encourage myself and others to believe God for a great revival during any time that we may have remaining before the second coming of Jesus. Verses quoted in both Joel chapter 2 in the Hebrew Bible and repeated in Acts chapter 2 in the New Testament are great verses to stand upon when claiming a great move of God in the last days. So let's look at Joel chapter 2 starting with verse 28, where it says, Afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams, and your young men will see visions. This is happening even now, particularly in the Muslim world. Even on my men servants and my maid servants, the women, God says, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire, columns of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. For on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, there shall be deliverance, as the Lord has promised, among the remnant who are called by the Lord. Amen. Well, as an intercessor on the walls of Jerusalem, for decades I've been believing God for deliverance on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem. We know a great revival is prophesied in Jerusalem, and that has to be fulfilled 
according to Zechariah 12.10, a verse I'm living in, where God says, I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplications. That's the spirit of prayer. And it says, they shall look upon me whom they have pierced, and they shall mourn for him as one mourns for his only son. This is a prophecy about Jesus. And they shall be in bitterness for him as one in bitterness for his firstborn. Hallelujah, what a prophecy. We earnestly desire to see this come to pass. But regarding gospel-hardened nations, humanly speaking, many leftists and globalists are angrily resisting this truth. They're desperate. For example, the relief organization run by Christian evangelist Franklin Graham came to the aid of coronavirus victims in New York City by setting up a temporary hospital in Central Park. But leftist officials criticized and complained bitterly, saying that it was a shame that New York should have to accept charity from the hands of Christians whom they called bigots. But revival has always come as a result of the prayers of believers not because of the hardness of unbelievers' hearts, but revival happens because of the power of prayer and genuine repentance by God's people, according to the principles of 2 Chronicles 7.14, that says that if we will humble ourselves, if we'll pray and seek God's face and turn from our wicked ways, then God says he will hear from heaven, forgive our sin, and heal our land. Although the virus that is wreaking havoc all over the world is dangerous to our health on a number of levels, medically and economically, the silver linings to the cloud are that people are praying, people are reflecting, seeking God. Homeschooling has been vindicated, and we're paying more attention to our families. And all of this is good. If this is a plague, then it could be the beginnings of a great awakening. So let's hear from Jesus himself. He said the time of the birth pains leading up to his second coming, when he will rule this world and take over from the globalists, those birth pains will be very terrible, the likes of which have never been seen or experienced previously. For he said many people will be tossed to and fro, and men's hearts will be failing them because of fears and trouble of what's coming upon the earth. But Jesus also said, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Because he said in his father's house, there are many rooms and he's gone there to prepare places for us. And then he will come again so that where he is, we may be also. Now, in the meantime, we want to share the gospel with as many people as possible so that they'll have the comfort of the Lord's help in this fragile world and his presence throughout all of eternity. It's our job as evangelists to herald the gospel that Jesus is the Savior of the world. Let the people hear and come to the gospel according to their own free will. But if hardened sinners want to reject and despise the gospel, the Lord instructs us not to waste time, not to allow his gospel pearls of wisdom to be trampled upon, but rather he wisely advised us to shake the dust, as it were, from our feet, and to move on, to find people whose hearts are open to his truth. So I want to speak to open hearts in this hour. 
to people who are wondering what in the world is going on. I want to speak to truth seekers who have literally been stopped in their tracks to assess the hour in which we're living. In 1986, Pastor David Wilkerson prophesied that a plague would shake New York City. And that city is a crossroads of the world. He said it will be shaken like it's never been shaken before. Wilkerson was author of the book, The Cross and the Switchblade, that was made into a popular movie. And he prophesied that the plague would be used by God to force believers back to our Bibles. He prophesied that the plague would catapult prayerless believers into radical prayer and that repentance would become the heart cry from pulpits. And I earnestly pray that part of his prophecy comes to pass because New York has indeed become the epicenter of the coronavirus in the United States. But will Wilkerson's word come to pass that out of the pestilence will emerge a third great awakening that will sweep America and the world? Well, the first great awakening began in the 1730s with preachers such as Jonathan Edwards and the British evangelist George Whitfield. According to Wikipedia, the Great Awakening represented the first time that African Americans embraced Christianity in large numbers. The Second Great Awakening was a revival that occurred in the United States beginning in the late 18th century and lasting until the middle of the 19th century. While it occurred in all parts of the United States, it was especially strong in the Northeast and the Midwest. This awakening was unique in that it moved beyond the educated elite of New England where so many of our Ivy League schools and universities were founded as Christian places originally. And there it spread to the Midwest to the people who were less wealthy and less educated. Now, Lord, we pray, let there be another great awakening. Now then, I want to share one of the greatest end time prophecies because of its scope. It was given by a Russian archbishop at the beginning of the last century. The first time I heard this word, it had a great impact on me and it still does. I heard it from Brother Lance Lambert, a blessed memory, who was one of my prayer mentors in Jerusalem. Lance had heard the remarkable prophecy I'm about to share from a Russian Orthodox nun named Mother Barbara who lived on the Mount of Olives in the Garden of Gethsemane. In 1911, before Mother Barbara arrived in Jerusalem, she was given the prophecy by the Archbishop Aristocoli of the Russian Orthodox Church somewhere near Moscow. And he had said, tell the women that they must absolutely belong to God. The women must believe in the great things that are happening and that God is doing on the earth and they must prepare their souls and their children and their husbands, and they will have very much work to do for God. Oh, what a great work the women will have to do in the end time. And he said, amazingly, the men will follow the praying women. And he said, not one country will be without trial. But then the bishop went on to say, don't be frightened by anything that you will hear. In 1911, he prophesied that an evil will shortly overtake Russia, and wherever this evil goes, rivers of blood will flow. Of course, he was prophesying about Marxism and communism. 
And he said, this evil is not the Russian soul, but it's an imposition on the Russian soul. It's not an ideology or a philosophy, but a very spirit from hell. Also, the Archbishop prophesied, in the last days, Germany will be divided in two. And that certainly happened after World War II. He prophesied that France will come to nothing. Italy will be judged by natural disasters. And he said Britain would lose her empire and all of her colonies. And that Britain would come to almost total ruin, but a female monarch will be on the throne and Britain will be saved by praying women. Hallelujah. That wonderful prophecy, as I said, was given in 1911, and it can be Googled on the internet, and it was published in Prophecy Today magazine in September of 1986, soon after the Carmel gathering in Israel, the same year in which David Wilkerson had prophesied. And at that Carmel gathering, it was prophesied that the Soviet Union was about to collapse. The prophecy about Britain being saved by praying women was also published in the January 2000 edition of Prophecy Today magazine in an article entitled Prophecies of Our Time. Now, what about this gift of prophecy? It's a gift mentioned by the Apostle Paul, it's legitimate, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 as one of the gifts that the Holy Spirit distributes among Spirit-filled believers. When discussing the 1911 prophecy, Lance Lambert often noted that in two world wars, when all seemed lost, God did save Britain. Lance also said that God used remarkable prayer warriors, notably, in many cases, women. So will God do it again? Will God save and revive Britain? Unless the Lord dramatically intervenes, Lance said he saw nothing but judgment for Britain. Yet, even in judgment, God could grant an awakening that could sweep millions into the kingdom of God. So let's hope and actively pray for that. Now, also in the 1911 prophecy, the Russian church leader had prophesied that Russia would be involved in a great end-time revival. May it be so. And that America would feed the world, but would soon come to nothing and collapse. Well, as one born in America, I hope that part of the Archbishop's prophecy is wrong because St. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, 9, that we prophesy in part. And there have been many other hopeful prophetic words for America's future, such as David Wilkerson's word, that there will be a great awakening in the United States. According to the fervency and sincerity of our prayers, we can expect God to answer. Now, the British Apostle of Faith, Smith Wigglesworth, was a man whose ministry has been endlessly inspirational to me and to countless other believers because of the great faith that he dared to exhibit in the last century. Many books have been written about Smith Wigglesworth's healing ministry, and my own ministry has produced a video about his life called The Legacy of Smith Wigglesworth. In 1947, he prophesied that when the Word, this Word of God, and the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, come together, there will be the biggest movement of the Holy Spirit that the nation and indeed the world has ever seen. It will mark the beginning of a revival, he said, that will eclipse anything that's been witnessed within Britain. 
It'll be even greater than the Wesleyan and the Welsh revivals of former years. Wigglesworth saw the outpouring of God's Spirit flowing over from the United Kingdom to the mainland of Europe, and from there, a great missionary move to the ends of the earth. Well, that was his prophecy. But in order for this to happen, the gifts of the Spirit will have to be combined with the Word of God. You see, we've had many churches that emphasize one or the other, or neither. But it will take the combination of Holy Spirit power coupled with His Word to bring the power of God. And of course, combined with prayer. Now, another man, Stanley Frodsham, was an Englishman and personal friend of Wigglesworth. And he wrote a biography of Smith Wigglesworth called Apostle of Faith. Frogsham was at the center of the Pentecostal revival of his day. He was also a friend to the famous Jeffrey brothers and was affectionately called God's prophet with a pen. Stanley Frogsham died in 1969, but a few years before his death in 1965, he gave a famous prophecy called Judgments, Darkness, Deception. Frogsham wrote that God would plead with Britain's population with great judgments, and he also foresaw great darkness coming upon countries like Britain that had been privileged to hear the gospel but no longer walk in the truths of the gospel. Frogsham prophesied God, saying, My wrath shall come upon these former gospel nations. The darkness shall be so great and the anguish so sore that men shall cry out for death but won't find it. His description of lingering death, famine, and great catastrophes sound apocalyptic, like verses out of the book of Revelation. He addressed nations that have forgotten the gospel, saying that you have known God's love, but you have not experienced his wrath or his severity, but now you will experience it. His judgments are literal and not a thing to be passed over lightly or trifled with. Frodsham said God's judgments will begin in his house, the church, for God will cleanse his church so that it will not be a partaker of God's wrath against the iniquities of the cities. He felt God saying that he would prepare believers for the coming days by a hard path that will cause many to cry out continually to God for help and guidance. This is because when the going is easy, men unfortunately don't seek God, but rather people tend to rejoice in our temporary blessings. However, history has shown that when blessings are removed, people don't necessarily come back to God. Frodsham saw the coming days is going to be perilous, difficult and dark, for there shall be a mighty outpouring of God's Spirit in judgment upon many cities, and many shall be destroyed. But out of the judgment would come revival. Therefore, God's people must be diligently warned concerning the days ahead, because deceivers will also come in increasing numbers, and this is what the Bible teaches. Jesus warned us always, the first thing he said about the birth pangs is to be aware of false prophets and deceivers. See to it that you're not deceived. Jesus himself, of course, warned that it's possible that the very elect could be deceived, but it's not possible if you walk in holiness and uprightness before the Lord, for then your eyes shall be open and the Lord his spirit within you will protect you and lead you. Frodsham noted concerning those claiming to be ministers of righteousness, their lives should agree with the word of God. 
But when there's a mixture of worldliness and sin in their lives, then you will know they're not truly ministers of righteousness. He said ministers will be offered and tempted by great worldly possessions. And at times it will seem that everyone is rising up against those who are truly called by God, trying to turn you from the course that God has set for you. But like Jesus, we're going to have to set our face as a flint to fulfill the will of God. With great determination, we'll be called to walk the course laid out for ourselves by God. Many of your loved ones and friends might seek to persuade you to do something else. And didn't Jesus himself rebuke Peter, who tried to turn him from the course of the cross that God had prescribed? Well, Froksham lamented that many shall start out, but not everyone will be able to finish because of the greatness of grace that's going to be needed to endure to the end. He prophesied that we shouldn't fear anything except fearing to walk in a manner pleasing to the Lord. That's because the Lord is coming for a church without spot or wrinkle. Amen. Well, many end time prophecies that are being shared at this time through the social media, I believe are missing a very important dimension. And that is they hardly ever mention God's restoration of the nation Israel. But I believe that any overall prophetic word about the end times should certainly mention God's mind on the matter. How can any modern day prophet not mention Israel? Because Israel will increasingly become the focus of end time events. This is what the whole tenor of scripture teaches. And that's why I've repeatedly said to men and women who claim to have prophetic gifts that they must visit the nation of Israel and get acquainted with Israel in order to understand God's overall counsel concerning the end times. It's for this reason that the prophetic words of Brother Lance Lambert of Blessed Memory have a lot of credence. You can check out his words at lancelambert.org. One of Lance's prophetic words was given in April of 2011. That was four years prior to his death. He gave it in Jerusalem where he said that it is well with believers interceding for Israel that Israel be safe because it is God's purpose to save Israel in this season. Why don't we hear more prophetic words about this? But Lance prophesied that God will complete the circle of redemption that began with Abraham and God's promise that a great nation will come forth from Abraham and that in Abraham, all the families of the earth would be blessed. And so it has happened and is happening because Israel became the vehicle through which God's word has come to all the nations. But soon the fullness of the Gentiles will be saved from all the nations. And then what's going to happen? Then God will turn once again to Israel, to his Jewish people, and they shall be re-engrafted into their own olive tree. Their blindness will be turned into sight and all of their sufferings to radiant glory. God says, this is my determined purpose and I will not be turned from it and it will shortly begin to be fulfilled. I will turn all of their weakness into unbelievable power and I will use Israel as the last witness to the world. Lance Lambert went on to prophesy that branches of militant Islam will seek to annihilate and liquidate Israel, but they will not succeed. They will fail. God instead will use tiny Israel as the anvil that will break the strength of those nations and their power will be broken. 
resulting in a huge harvest of souls that will be saved from amongst the Muslim nations. Hallelujah. Lance's words almost always gave a call for genuine intercessors to come forth in the last days, for all the powers of God's enemy are centered and focused on stopping Israel's redemption and salvation. But Satan will fail. God is seeking intercessors who will stand in this hour in the gap on behalf of Israel. Lance also prophesied in 2011 that God said he would shortly also begin more serious judgments on the Western nations. God said through Lance, I will bring the nations to nothing. I will turn them upside down. I will grind them to powder, bringing them to their knees and weakness. Well, all of the prophetic words I've been discussing today are about troublesome times ahead. But there are plenty of prophets who also believe that the appearing of the Lord is very near. He's at the very doors. Do you believe the Lord is coming? I do. And he could come today. I wouldn't be surprised to hear the loud blast of the heavenly trumpet as in the days of Mount Sinai, that great and terrible blast of God's shofar. But I think only the ready, only those who are prepared with oil in their lamps will hear it. Presently, the New Testament says Jesus is seated at the right hand of God, but soon he will descend from heaven with a shout and with that chauffeur blast saying, time's up, it's over, my people come home. Revelation 3.3 says that he is coming with stealth like a thief. In a single second, in the twinkling of an eye, it will happen because the Lord's return has seemingly been slow some people think it won't happen, but all scriptures will be fulfilled. Paul said Jesus is coming in the twinkling of an eye, and that's actually quicker than a second. Then the dead and Messiah will be raised, and we who are here and still alive will be snatched up and given instantly body suits of immortality. Billionaires are talking about going to Mars, but we'll travel further through some sort of wormhole out of space-time into eternity. And we won't need any space gear for this supernatural flight. Hallelujah. The Bible says the only way a person will ever enter eternity into the presence of God is if our sins are removed. For the Bible teaches that without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sins. So there must be a sacrifice for sin. And the good news of the gospel is the final sacrifice for sins was made in Jerusalem by Jesus on the cross. If you reject the atonement provided by Jesus, you will die in your sins without a proper atonement. Just as the blood of the Passover lamb was painted on the doors of the Israelites' homes in Egypt, each and every one of us needs the covering of the precious blood of Jesus over the doorposts of our hearts. That's what saves us. And we believe by faith. Our faith saves us. The Bible teaches that if we believe in our hearts that God raised Jesus from the dead, and if we're willing to confess Him as Lord of our lives, we shall be saved. Amen. Now, I want you to feel free to contact me on the social media or through our website at exploits.tv, where you can watch our entire video library for free. Until the next time we're together, I'll be contending for the faith as always and praying for the peace of Jerusalem. Shalom, I'm Christine Dark, Maranatha.